0: Hi everyone thanks for tuning in now this is a special episode today where we kind of follow up on what we spoke about in episode 50 we kind of unpack it so we'd like you to go back and listen to episode 50 first if you don't mind i think you'll get a lot more out of this episode if you check out the more tightly scripted map to reinventing education that you'll find in episode 50 thanks Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast, a podcast for anyone who's interested in seeing what the future of education could be. I'm Brendan O'Leary, and I'm going to be hosting the show today with my good friend, the illustrious Robert McLeod. How are you today, Rob?
1: Brendan, I'm pretty good. I feel like we're in bizarro world right now. I like it.
0: Well, we are, because following episode 50, which was a tight rundown of our whole map of education, I felt as good as that was and as much as it showed what we believe, there's kind of another side to us. There's a, there's a little bit more Lucy side, and I wanted in this episode to kind of Maybe have a go at more or less addressing the same kind of issues as we did in the last episode, but in a little bit more of a rambling style.
1: I consent to that. Let's try it. <laughs> I think this is worthwhile because I think you and I have managed to share our model. But yeah, perhaps it was fairly mentally focused.
0: The intention is to more or less restate this in a slightly more looser fashion for people who might prefer that style.
1: Perfect setup. So first thing, would you like to tell us a little bit about the Integral European Conference
0: that you just finished? I won't give any spoilers. You tell us.
1: Integral European Conference, uh, one of my favorite events to attend, normally happens in Hungary. Obviously, with the lockdown this year, physical event had to be uh, postponed until next year. Hopefully by then we can get everyone together in a room around Lake Balaton again and hanging out. Um, So they shifted to an online conference and... I believe if I've got the numbers correctly, I think usually there's like 600 or so in the physical uh, event, but I think they've had over a thousand people register for the online one, which is pretty cool. And yeah, I had my session this morning. I was going to present in Hungary. Like I said, obviously that got postponed, uh, but they did ask me if I would be willing to try and do my presentation Online, and I have to be honest, i'm I'm almost happier that I was able to do it online because I think I was able to do a lot of stuff that I couldn't have done if we weren't all on our computers. So yeah, essentially, I, I kind of went back and did a version of our episode fifty. I talked about the three main value systems that are impacting education, which we'll get into. I talked about the eight aspects of a school to look at when you're considering school development. And I did my best to actually like teach in a way, that each of those school values would teach. So we did a lecture for the traditional type of school. We did like a kind of study breakout session for the mainstream school. And then the attendees came back and did an online test to check their knowledge. And I showed the the class's student data with them. And I spoke about as the teacher what my next steps will be with them to, to ensure that they can meet all of our expectations of understanding what a mainstream school is. And then third, with the progressive, we kind of walked through the the early stages of developing a personal inquiry, while at the same time coming to understand more about the progressive school approach. And yeah, you know, base, and then we got into a bit about the post-progressive schooling as well. And I guess if you're this far into listening to this and you're unfamiliar with any of this terminology, just go back and listen to episode 50. This is episode 51. We've got an episode start here, 2.0, a map for reinventing education. Listen to that first, probably before you listen to this ramble chat today. Yeah. And then the second part of my presentation was about post-progressive education, integral education, yellow, teal education and essentially saying two things. One, we really need to further refine and mature and develop what progressive education is so that we can go back and harvest more from it. I use the term babies and bathwater. If we look at the three previous values, what are their pros? What are their cons? Can we keep the pros and do away with the cons and integrate and have our cake and eat it too, and then the second piece was just saying, you know, I still think progressive education has so far in its own development that the next stage, next iteration of school of an post progressive or integral approach is out there, but it is in its like embryonic stage. Um, I think we have a lot of people with an integration value who are in education, but they're more likely to be what we've dubbed a hacker, like someone who is playing or engaging with the systems they are in but from this kind of integrative mindset, possibly being a pioneer and starting a a school, whether that's physical or digital, um, to do these things. But I was kind of making the point that I think the most integral move or the most post-progressive move is simply to help the previous three Values in school, the security, opportunity, and inclusion values, just help them to become better expressions of themselves, and uh, also to build up the progressive education approach. Wrapped it up with a really interesting activity where I took one of the thought experiments you've often played with, which is I asked everybody, like, "Hey, if you only could teach ten things in a school, what would those ten things be?" Uh, and I think it was a good way to synthesize and potentially summarize a lot of the ideas I was throwing out. And uh, that document, we've got about I think six or seven different groups of people who did their best to contribute ten, or in some cases more, in some cases less, ten things that would be uh, we we as sort of integralists see as the absolute necessities for a starter pack. If our institutions are going to have a hand in helping raise our children, what's the starter pack we want our institutions giving our kids for the post institutional life? How do we get them ready?
0: Yeah, thanks for that, because it it sounds... It sounds really cool. And there's a couple of things that I want to follow up on because, you know, again, if this is the first episode you've listened to, it shouldn't be. I forbid you to to have this as your first episode. So please go back and listen to episode 50. You'll get a, a really clear, hopefully, outline of our model of education. Today, we are going to deconstruct that somewhat or just play around with it a little bit just to see what happens when we throw those big ideas around without too many notes in a script but just to jump back there because our show is not based entirely on integral theory but a lot of the ideas a lot of the core ideas especially at the three different types of school and also the eight aspects that we talk about they are all informed heavily by integral theory so do you feel. It's worth giving a couple of minutes about what integral theory is.
1: Yeah. Uh, Integral theory, in a few sentences, largely the work attributed to Ken Wilber, an American philosopher. He's still living. He was contributing to the conference this weekend. Basically, it's a framework for ways to think about something from a variety of perspectives. And um, I guess the part that we are using in... Some of our work here is what they call AQUAL, All Quadrants, Levels, Lines, States, Stages, and Types. And essentially for our podcast, we're using the quadrants model, which we've adapted and changed slightly to call the eight aspects of school. We'll get into those in a few minutes. And then also using some of the stages model, both from integral theory, but also relying on some of the work from Spiral Dynamics to basically look at different stages or significantly different steps in the evolution of school and what it looks like.
0: Cheers. I, I like the... The analytical nature of the tools, both the quadrants, which is looking at things from the perspective of individuals, interiors and exteriors, and uh, collectives as well. So it's a great analytical tool, and I like the theory of developmental stages. There are, there are many out there, and as educators, you know, one we come across a lot is Piaget, which describes definitely stages of development for children. I guess what I like about the Spiral Dynamics model is that it tries to describe stages of development for entire societies which can be applied to individuals too but it applies well to large groups all right question one is education perfect in 2020 that there's some awesome stuff going on out there but there's a whole bunch of stuff that we run across in our uh, in our professional lives and just reading and talking to people that may seem like it just doesn't fit in the world anymore or it's not helpful or it isn't in alignment with any kind of value systems that we hold or even any kind of aims that we have. One of the weird things is that school never really never really explicitly talks about its aims very much. When I say never, I mean they do, but it's not front and center. It's not like, you know, when you join a gym they usually talk about their aims. We're to get you fit, we're going to make you, you know, super strong. And this is like, you know, and then you go to a school, and you just they'll talk about future and being the best you can be, and lots of vague terms and mission statements will be f- throwing words around like curing and wellness and differentiation and 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 a whole bunch of things. And we came to the conclusion a couple of years ago, again informed by a lot of the spiral dynamics stages that you were talking about when we worked together that what we call school or what we call education, we're generally not even talking about the same thing. You know, we're saying that there's three different distinct flavors or types or kinds of school. It took us a long time to get to the descriptions we currently have. We went through a whole bunch of names and ideas, but we've recently settled on just calling them traditional, mainstream, and progressive, because I think that's what most people out there in the real world, those are the terms they'll have heard of and they already have somewhat of an idea of what those types of school might be. And so it's easier for us to start there and then to refine. So I guess that's my answer.
1: then that's the most important piece I think that we are bringing to the table. Of course, I think anyone, if you asked, in education, anyone would say, oh yeah, there's a diversity of ideas about what we should do. There's a diversity of like best practices or here's the best way, here's what school should look like. But what we're actually missing is like one level deeper of like, oh no, we actually have like three fundamental differences about how to do education, about what is right. And when you get really pushing past that surface level of discussion of I think we should do reading groups. I think we should do whole class things. Oh, the kids need this app. The kid, you know, whatever it is, when you like dig, 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 dig deep down, I think you see these three values come into play. And the way I would think about it is just like, if you're in a school and you're like, hey, tell me something you guys do, and you hear the answer, just be like that annoying six-year-old again and be like, why? Why? Oh, well, why that? Why that? And I feel eventually that series of why questions will bring you to one of the values. And the values we've laid out are, we're saying for the traditional school, it's security. So everything that's happening in there is essentially happening to reinforce Security. In the mainstream school, you keep asking why, 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 and eventually you dig down to this kind of bedrock idea of opportunity, which is a very different value than having security at your core. And in the progressive school, we're saying it's inclusion. If you keep asking and, you know, if you, they have to double down on something, eventually you get to that core of we're doing all this for the sake of inclusion. And this, that tool, that framework, whatever you want to call it, of what we just laid out there. I feel like that's the Rosetta Stone that's missing in education to be like, hey, this is why there's this weird, frustrating tug of war happening in education right now, because the three different value systems are... are Pulling, saying like, no, 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 we've got this figured out. We just have to do the stuff that that makes us more secure. No, we need to do double down and like you know do everything for more opportunity. No, we need to double down and do more inclusion. And yeah, it just what why it's frustrating is each of them thinks they are right, and I think what we're saying is each of them is partially right,
0: and we may be completely wrong. And we're we're big enough to say that if you can come to us and say, listen, what you're saying doesn't hold up. There's not traditional schools and there's not mainstream schools and there's not progressive schools. There's not a bunch of schools out there that are all based around security. You know, I'm and, and making everything safe and just trying to consolidate what traditionally we had. That just doesn't exist. And we'd say, well, actually, no, it doesn't because we live in the real world where you're not going to find, you know, this school that is traditional in the full like storybook sense where everyone's just walking around like, you know, they're all in those beautiful traditional uniforms. No one ever really talks about like standardized tests or lesson objectives. It's just like we're just taught by the teacher who's the master and they're Telling us what to do, and we're going to come out the other side being masters ourselves one day. And we'd say, yeah, that doesn't exist in 2020 because the the nature of the world doesn't allow you anymore to have a school that, no, that doesn't look at coming out at the other end with some kind of accreditation that will allow you to take part in the world of global capitalism. You can't live on an island and have a beautiful traditional school where everything is how it would have been in a storybook 150 years ago, where the, the children are taught to fulfill their role in society. Everything's looking back towards a a past where, you know, the world was a a settled and wonderful place. It's like, No, it's far more messy than that. And what we've died to do is not straw man any of these three systems of traditional mainstream or progressive because they're very, very messy ideas and they're messy institutions full of people who have very different thoughts and feelings and ways to go about education. But if you boil them down to their core and the shit's about to hit the fan. Do they double down on just making everything more secure? Do they double down on looking for opportunities to push forward and push beyond this? Do they look into ways to include people more and to bring people more into the fold? I'm just going to throw in an analogy I talked about a little bit ago about the 2008 global financial crash. Some countries went with austerity. They went with the traditional model. They said, let's tighten our belts. What everyone just needs to do is use their common sense and spend less. Some countries look for opportunities. Can we kind of like somehow maneuver our way out of this situation? Can we stimulate the economy and not just tighten our belts and just becoming more secure? It's about looking for opportunities and and again this is mirrored very much in the mainstream school system. And then there were other countries and some Scandinavian countries and their more progressive values of inclusion and say okay well let's make sure everyone's taken care of here. And again I'm oversimplifying and in this model there was an element of let's make sure that we don't lose what's our core value, which is to include everybody and to make sure everybody's taken care of and have that wellness at its center. This actually mirrors a kind of socialist state, which has healthcare, unemployment, care for families. So yeah, that was a long-winded way of saying that this is a very messy model, but uh, go with us, question it, poke at it, but see whether our model that there's three types of educational establishments are three types of school that operate from three completely different value systems.
1: Does that hold up? And I would say you could think of these three kinds of school as like the ingredients for any dispute or conflict or disagreement about education. I bet you if you find any debate or conflict regarding opinions on education, if you boil them down long enough, you could extract these three different values and see some kind of ratio of like how security, opportunity, and inclusion are, are kind of like battling with each other. And I'm also not I know, like, my personality type is the peacemaker. And so, if I can find a way to avoid conflicts, I will. I'm sure that that is part of why I'm so interested in this pursuit. I would. I think, but I also have the one wing in the Enneagram, which is the reformer, which is the perfectionist, where it's like, we got to stick up my ass most of the time and like judging things. And it's like, I also just don't want us to waste time on this when we could be doing something better than this. And I think it's like, I'm not trying to get rid of conflict, disagreement, debate in school, but rather I'd like to just have it be more effective to serve kids, serve staff on the biggest scale, like serve all of us while we're here for like, this handful of years or decades on this planet. It's like, I want this thing to not be a waste of human energy, this thing being education. So it's like, I think you could boil any disagreement down to most likely these three values.
0: Yeah. And we both strongly agree with the idea that this takes up so many years of a person's life and especially years when they're developing at such rapid speed. Let's give it as much thought as we can about how to best do that. And unfortunately with some of the school systems, and we all often hark on the traditional particularly, but this is true of the traditional mainstream and the progressive. You get a kid in your class who is just not suited to your style, to your how your school teaches. You've got a kid who is so ready for progressive education and they're sat in your traditional classroom or vice versa. You've got a kid in your progressive classroom, you're doing all this wonderful progressive stuff. And again, we'll get into more details and go back to Episode 50 and get a good understanding of what we mean by progressive education. But you know, there's a kid in your class and you're a progressive teacher and you're doing all of this wonderful progressive progressive stuff and it's just not working. Because what this kid probably needs right now, because of maybe their own background or their own uh, preference of teaching and learning, they need some traditional education. They need somebody to sit down with them and just almost lecture and say, Here is what you need to know. Now give me that information back. Now write it down on this piece of paper. Remember of this, they might not need you to do a inquiry with them and vice versa. They might be crying out for that inquiry and you've got them in this tightly confined box of traditional education where you're giving them a textbook and they're working through it. So like some people will start to make the assumption or say that we just want progressive education. We just think that there's three types. There's traditional mainstream progressive. People may assume that we're progressives from the way we talk. I don't know. Assume that and think that we're saying progressive school is the best. But we're not. And this is the point of what our podcast is and our kind of map is to say there's a fourth value that we're calling integration or post-progressive that actually begins to hopefully offer a quote-unquote solution or strategies to deal with situations such as that one of a student who should be in a progressive school or would benefit more from being in a progressive school when they're actually in a traditional school, vice versa. And many and all those are the conflicts that you mentioned earlier, Rob, that tug of war between what we should do and how we should do it. This fourth value system of integration essentially seeks to balance mainstream progressive and traditional values and systems to meet the needs of individuals. Easier said than done. It's a very easy thing to say, but on top of the incredible complexity of each individual system, add the incredible complexity of the individual person that we're talking about and then just say, oh, well, we can just balance it all in, in the right context. We're not saying we can do it. We're just saying we think that is the way that we should pursue movement in education towards something that actually meets the needs and benefits all of the individuals and all of the groups that exist inside our society today.
1: So I want to go back to two things there. Let's try to bookmark uncertainty, I'll try and come around to that. First, I think we're trying to do two things on the podcast. And one, you're right, I think we are trying to further, well, first of all, just articulate what post-progressive education looks like, articulate post-progressive education, contact people who are doing it, interview them, discuss it, and uh, yeah, hone what that is. I think the second thing we are doing, though, is for those first three types of school, the traditional, mainstream, and progressive, we're also trying to point out the babies in the bathwaters, the pros and cons. Like, none of them... Like we said, none of them are the be-all and end-all, the full truth. I think each one of those is a partial truth that tries to assert itself as the way to do things. And I think what we're trying to do is go back through those three, give them their credit and say, here are things we do not want to lose from these. these here are the things that these got right. And we don't want to lose that. But here, here's the excess baggage, the bathwater. This is the stuff, if we can, we'd like to carve this out because it's largely unnecessary and also not needed. So I think the integrative value looks to go back and to integrate the best components, the best sides, the positives of those three three previous types of school. But we also just already exist in schools that probably have a center of gravity of traditional mainstream or progressive. And I think the other thing we're trying to do is to get those schools to pick the value they are doing and double down on it. We're not saying rush up to mainstream or progressive or even integrative for that matter, or the post-progressive. What we're saying is pick the value you're at and just do it better. Like, can you maximize the babies, the best parts of this value, and minimize at all costs the bathwater? Can you be the healthiest expression of this kind of school? Because I would much rather my kid be in a healthy traditional school that's maximizing the benefits of a traditional approach while minimizing the bathwater, the negatives, I would prefer he's in that than in a mainstream or even progressive school that are maximizing their bathwaters and not really delivering much on their babies or their benefits. Like this idea of like health or alignment with a value is the other thing I think we're trying to point out. And rather than play this conflictual game of tug of war back and forth between, no, we're kind of a traditional school. No, we're kind of a mainstream. No, we're kind of a progressive. It's like, no, see that. Don't be like pulled by these invisible forces that are like just causing you to stall in your tracks. Choose one and do it until it's decided that no, now we actually want to be this other kind of school. We no longer want to be mainstream. We want to be progressive. We no longer want to be traditional. We want to be mainstream. Pick one and maximize its benefits. And I think when we get stuck in this tug of war, it's too easy to end up maximizing the bath waters alongside getting some of the benefits of being pulled between them. So yeah, those are our two missions. One, make the schools that already exist the healthier expression of where they are at. And then second is to further develop this idea of the post-progressive school, one that can flexibly move between the babies of those previous values, but also, well not also, do that by being responsive to the actual context you're in and bringing in unknowing and uncertainty. I think one of the shadows, you could say, or one of the perhaps unacknowledged ideas of those three previous schools, traditional, mainstream, and progressive, is I think there is the core under underlying belief of like, no, but this is the way to live your life. At security, it's like, just listen to us. We will get you ready, and then you're set. In mainstream, it's like, play our game, go through the school filter, work your way out of school into the job market, you're set, dude. And in progressive, it's like, No, find the way to find your own path in life and then go out and just do it. And I'm not saying any of those are wrong. They're, of course, correct some of the time, but I don't have that same religious (laughs) zeal to think that they do work all the time. And I think the integrative value actually brings in, I won't say humility, but it's more just like a willingness to sit with unknowing and be like, now trying to integrate the idea of what serves you now, what serves you later. Here's the best guess I've got with all of the things we've got on the table. And it needs to be flexible and adaptive. You know, the world's a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous place. Can't say anything with 100% certainty, but I think the thing that allows you to be flexible moving forward and meet situations with what's required in them is probably the best way to go. And I realize I'm starting going on a tangent here, but just to be a, a true integralist or a fan of spiral dynamics, I I also think it's a mistake to think it's The post-progressive or integrative version of education just goes back and integrates the best of those three school systems. I think there are value systems that predate nationalized education. That predate those three value systems of security, opportunity, and inclusion. And I think we've lost a lot of the like, I would say, charge or excitement in our institutions because school in many ways has actually attempted to cut us off from those previous values. And in spiral dynamics terms, that would be the the red the purple and the beige stages of development. And I think we also need to bring back that red decisiveness, courage, and power. We need to bring back that purple sense of interconnectedness, enchantment, and like wonder. And we also even just need to bring back that beige. And I know this is my dark turn here, but just that felt sense of existing, like actually being alive and also just acknowledging the fleetingness of life and like acknowledging that we're not here forever. And I think when you bring those three things that, by and large, have been removed from our structures of education, you bring those back to interact with the best of these three previous systems, in my opinion, as of today, that's the best definition I have for what a post-progressive integral school is.
0: See, that's great. That's, that's why I think we benefit from doing this type of chat as well as the script because you there's no way you're putting that into <laughs> into our tight episode 50 script but it's very valuable it's kind of like whether you buy into the spiral dynamics model of, of different stages of development or not, if you at least agree there's a traditional mainstream progressive school, you will see that there may be other places in time and space and groups of people who may not fit neatly into one of those three as well. And how do we integrate all of those if you're going to have a school that somehow meets the needs of everybody in our community and all of the aspects of ourself. That's some complicated going down right there. But there's two, I guess, two types of audience then we're talking to. We're talking to the teacher, parent, even student interested party who's in a traditional school, a mainstream school or a progressive school. And hopefully, as we said, our aim would be to support somebody in analyzing where they're at especially those eight aspects of school which is the resources and the actions and the, the interiors of the individuals and what they feel and believe and respond to you're talking about the cultures and communities of the groups we're talking about the actions of the people inside the school system and, and all the resources we have there including human resources but also balls and pens and digital resources we're looking at the school environment itself the building but also any digital platforms you we have and all the systems and rules that underpin it so we're looking at all of those eight aspects that we talk about and we're saying can you bring them into alignment with your core value if you can own it and say listen we do want to be this mainstream opportunity seeking school we see that as the most appropriate and most positive for our community and our world. How can we bring all of these eight aspects in alignment with the healthiest version of that? And what we believe and what Spiral Dynamics seems to suggest is that once you've done that, if you bring everything into this alignment and everything's working, issues and problems that didn't exist before might start to emerge. And one example, we talked to your buddy. Now, maybe, maybe even I can call him my buddy as well now. Len McLeod, no relation to either of us, but we talked to him about the idea of shifting stages. So you would have a school that is a mainstream school, which is the orange value in Spiral Dynamic. We have the mainstream school. And they are very much in a world of global capitalism. They're very much in a world of clearer curriculum objectives and moving towards differentiating learning, but essentially moving towards qualifications or the next step of school that's going to help you to get a job and help you to to thrive in the workplace. Now, let's imagine you had a school that was very much based on that mainstream opportunity value, and it was working. Every aspect of your school, all those eight aspects, the environment, the beliefs, the community, all working in alignment with that value. You might start to just get a nagging feeling that, hmm, maybe we're not including everybody in this kind of thing as much as we could. Maybe there are people inside our institution or outside who we might be able to include a little bit more or bring their wellness to the center or give them more ownership over their learning. And those are all ideas that are much more in line with progressive schools and so our belief is double down go for it get your school in alignment with your value but what we'd expect to happen then is you'd start to encounter issues problems that are coming from the next value along which in this case would be progressive
1: yeah it's that old line of like you can't solve problems with the same level consciousness or of thinking that created them. And it's like, I think when you double down on one of the values and attempt to do it fully and as best as it can, you solve a lot of problems. But as you're saying, you end up opening new problems. And it seems to be the next stage in this model, the next stage of school that provides answers to those, which is why I think over time schools end up moving towards a next value. I think one of the ideas too that we've discussed here is this idea of like a sheen and a core. So like a value's sheen kind of lightly or loosely being wrapped around a stronger core And just even in the integral presentation that I gave this morning for the conference, it seemed that idea alone got the most um, response or attention feedback from people. And I used an image of Chris Farley doing the fat guy in a little coat bit. If you don't know the movie, Tommy Boy, imagine most educated people don't, but uh, Chris Farley, big, loud, large man, grabs the very small jacket of David Spade, a much smaller comedian in the movie, puts on his jacket, and starts singing the song Fat Guy in a Little Coat, waving his arms back and forth. He can barely just hold his arms in the jacket. The jacket is too small for him. And then he squeezes his arms together, puts pressure on that jacket. It tears right down the middle, down the back of the jacket, destroying David Spade's jacket. I've never heard a more cerebral explanation of one of the greatest comedy bits of all time. Uh, anyways, I showed that with the idea of a sheen in a school. So Bren and I are kind of arguing that like 99.9% of schools have a mainstream opportunity core. Because at the end of the day, the school is there after all is said and done to help students get to the next stage of school. There will likely be standardized tests. Most schools will be required to have their students Perform either for funding reasons or just for legal reasons. Everything about a school at its core ends up being about this mainstream orange opportunity value. You have to make report cards at the end of the year, all these sorts of things. You have to show measured progress, whatnot. And you probably might see one of two sheens over top of doing that. And one might be that progressive sheen that does bring in student wellness into the mix, does bring student voice and advocacy and agency and maybe open inquiries and all of these sorts of things. But those will only be done as a sheen, as that tiny little jacket on the arms of Chris Farley, if it is serving that core. And in this case, one simple way to say it would be one of the cores of the mainstream school is, does it impact student test scores? Do student test scores go up if we do this? So meditation, hey, I'm willing to bring that into our school. 10 minutes a day, kids are more calm, calm kids do better on their tests. We do meditation for 10 minutes a day. But are we doing meditation for student wellness sake? Well, no, because I've actually seen, I remember some report a few years ago, a head of school talking about like, so surgically, like, well, we found that the students who did 10 minutes of meditation did better than the group that did no meditation. So we brought student wellness in. But then we thought, well, probably more meditation means they'll do even better. But we found that after 10 minutes, it was diminishing returns. 15, 20 minutes, there was no difference than 10 minutes. Five wasn't quite enough. So the kids do 10 minutes of meditation. And it's like, okay, so you're not doing meditation because it helps the kids to like calm, relax, and like be more present. You're doing it straight up. That's a sheen. The actual reason you're doing that is because of that core. You're really just doing it because it brings up test scores. Now, that's a pretty extreme borderline dystopian example. I think everything else, though, if you boil it down, um, you see what core is really there. And we're saying that you also see this from the traditional sheen as well. What's the best way to get test scores? Well, some of us believe in a traditional sheen. That idea of like, no, we're doing drills, we're doing repetition, we've got test prep notebooks that you have to work through. Hey, you're staying in at break because you didn't finish this thing that I told you to do and you need it to get ready for that test next week. Like, we also see this doubling down on the traditional sheen. But again, what's all that being done in service of? Well, the belief that it's going to help student test scores, which at its core is this very opportunity mainstream school thing. Because at the end of the day, once school's over, you're going to have to go get a job. And one of the aims of school is occupational preparation, getting you ready for work, work prep, getting you ready for the job market, along with developing you as a citizen, as well as handing you the tools to develop yourself. Each school is handing over this starter pack, but I think that starter pack can, can have a sheen on top of it. And basically, in the conference this morning, people instantly were like, yeah, that's the thing that's happening in my business or the company I work in. It's like we get all this very progressive looking stuff, but at the end of the day, if it's not increasing profits, that stuff gets axed next time budget cuts come around.
0: Yeah. I think there's two things in terms of say the wellness on, and we see that a lot in schools now of, of bringing in elements of wellness. So there, there are some schools as you've Described, and I've heard this for for almost any new innovation that could come in. How long is it before we start talking about how it's going to increase test scores? That's the sign. Because if it comes up any anytime in the conversation, then you're definitely in you're definitely in a mainstream school with that opportunity value at its core. If it never comes to the table, or maybe you're actually in a school that is operating more from one of these other value systems, then there's a whole other bunch of stuff that we can bring in. And as long as it doesn't get in the way of us getting through the curriculum and as eventually covering the content that we need to and by the end of the school year, then we're okay. We can take a couple of days here to a project week. We can have some 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 sports events that are all great. And they do add something to the school. The question would be if those standardized tests were moved from six months away to next week, would you still keep doing all of those things? Or would everything go out of the window so that you could get your students ready for that standardized test? And I have seen it. Schools that in grade five, which is year six, which is the last year of primary, those tests are incredibly important, not for the kids, unfortunately, (laughs) because the kids will just move on to the same school no matter what, but because the schools are ranked according to the scores that their students get in those year six tests. And Ofsted, the government inspectors, will come in if you get lower scores on those tests. And that can lead to all kinds of unfortunate situations. Anyway, I've seen schools that bumped art, bumped sports, bumped all trips for three, four, five, six months, increased study groups, extended school hours, all in service of getting higher scores on these tests. And not only is that clearly showing that this is a mainstream school with opportunity values, then we get into the idea of the health, because if you are taking away all of those other things that actually might give your students a reason for being in school on top of the teaching and learning of math, English, science, and so on, then you're not even actually being a school that's offering opportunities to your students in a broad sense. You've narrowed it so much that you've actually, you're not even a healthy opportunity school, you're narrowing opportunities further and further and further, but not to serve that ultimate aim of getting your kids a better job at the end of this, because these test scores are almost irrelevant to the lives of these children. They're relevant only to schools because of a systemic governmental decision. And so we get into this really complex system where we're actually working against our aim before we even get to the irony that the things on those tests are in no way going to prepare somebody for a job in eight years time in anything that requires those transdisciplinary Disciplinary skills we talk about of high communication skills, problem solving, project management, working in collaboration with others, and so on. So that is just Completely working against itself. And what we would want to do is, we would want to go into a school like that and we would want to start to analyze and talk to teachers, staff, students about those eight aspects and say, how can we bring this more in alignment with a healthier version of an opportunity school that does meet the three needs of school, which we've kind of hinted at. But we go back to 15, you'll, episode 15, you'll hear a lot more about them. But the three aims of school, as far as we can see, is building you up ready for a job at some point down the line helping you to become a better citizen and also in some level helping you to develop your own interests beliefs hopes skills so that you can actually develop as an individual so there's that
1: rob two things yeah two things there one just A slight opportunity critique. As you said, you're actually like limiting the amount of opportunities students have. I think it's also showing the kind of Wizard of Oz behind the curtain thing of like, well, actually, the opportunities we're talking about are just the opportunities we're providing you. It's not actually infinite opportunities. In fact, maybe the opportunities you want aren't even on the table, not even on the menu. These are the opportunities we're presenting you with. And you have the opportunity to compete in our system, but we're dictating everything and telling you what you have to do. We're creating the definitions of success here. I often use the analogy of like the Olympics. You don't roll up to the Olympics and go like, I get a gold medal today if I beat my personal best. That's what I'm here for. It's like, no, the Olympics have the definitions already set for what you're going to do in the event. And if you meet those, then you get a medal. But if you don't meet them, you don't get the medal, that kind of thing. So I think it reveals that it's a sliding scale of opportunity to begin with. But any opportunity that's provided is like within that closed loop of education itself. And then the second thing is like, you know, we've, I'm going to try and break our own model here. We've talked about those three aims of work, prep, citizenship, and self-development. But I almost wonder if like we're so duck in that mainstream idea that like we say work preparation. I almost wonder if like by the time we truly get into progressive or post-progressive education, if we'd even like change the wording of that to be like, no, 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 not work prep, but like contribution prep. Like, how are you going to contribute while you're alive? Probably within the economy, but like what what are you actually going to be doing in the world, in the environment, in physical space and time or digital, whatever? It's like that idea of like work preparation was there at the start that was one of the reasons nationwide schooling kicked off and basically every school that started or every nation that started doing it was like hey this is way better than what we had before we're totally doubling down on this we see this crazy 150 200 year boom in economies around the world and i wonder if like as we move beyond it if the world's systems and structures continue to change or move beyond that model if we'd actually even just start to use different terminology for this. And it's less about, well, what job are you going to do? But more like, how are you going to contribute with the life that you have here? That can contain work prep, but work prep is not the larger category.
0: Yeah, and I think my argument is that work prep of the three aims of school, citizenship, work preparation, and self-development. Work prep is kind of the new kid on the block. We've always had citizenship. Since, since we began to emerge as humans, and, and even before that, some may argue, we've had to live together. Um, and we've always had some element of us being individuals and one could argue that the 21st century that is emerging more and more because we are becoming more, of a, more able to sustain ourselves further up that, that Maslow's hierarchy. We're not so much scratching around for survival in, in most of our days in the 21st century and therefore this idea of self-development and self-actualization is becoming more and more possible and prevalent.
1: And I would add to that, because this is the thing I've been thinking about a lot lately. I think that's true. And to add to that, the idea of survival has become so abstracted. If you go from like, I need water and food and some shelter today, and then we just like carry out the abstractions of how we meet that. It's so far removed from the actual thing that is required, like I said, back at that beige level of spiral dynamics of like, without this, you don't exist, <laughs> like on the planet. That, that we've forgotten like that link, that vital piece of information along the way. It's a good point. And
0: I think this is one of those rabbit holes that, we, I mean, we talk a lot and this is one of those rabbit holes that we could go down now for the next three hours. Just going to say... The, the work prep is the new kid on the block because we're only required it due to our current situation in terms of global capitalism. And I'm not arguing for or against global capitalism. Again, as with anything, there are massive benefits and there are downsides to it. But our entire school system has evolved around the idea of getting us ready eventually to enter the workforce. And yes, it has other aims of citizenship and and self-development, but at its core, it's still based around that idea of work preparation. Eventually, if you look at the entire path from five to to 25 or whatever, whereas work, Work preparation could vanish overnight. Though the concept that everybody needs to prep for work could vanish overnight if it was no longer required to work to put food on the table. And you might laugh and say, this is a ridiculous idea. We're always going to need to work to put food on the table from the time of subsistence farming right up until today of the knowledge economy or whatever you call it. We're never moving away from having to do that. And yet, even in the last few months, When coronavirus meant that people's work was compromised, we started to talk about giving people basic income while while they couldn't earn. Now, again, people around the world have tried basic income models and you could argue that they never work. But the point being that overnight if a basic income model came in and you did not have to get up tomorrow morning to do a job unless you really wanted to do it work prep would immediately become some combination of self-development and citizenship. Immediately, it would be like, what do I need to contribute to the society? And what can I do that benefits me rather than how am I going to go and stack those shelves for 12 hours to put food on the table? And I guess that's my one of my points there of this mainstream school that is wagging the entire system kind of could not saying it will and I don't believe it will, could disappear very quickly in certain contexts.
1: Or alter dramatically from what it has been.
0: Yeah, because right now it's not even really serving the needs. And again, we could go down the idea of the because they're not teaching those 21st century skills, you may be teaching lots of really specific disciplinary skills that are of no use when you get into the workplace even if you can remember how to divide three-digit numbers and multiply fractions, maybe, maybe that's not going to help you when you have to set up a project between people in five different countries. Anyway, that's a whole different, that's, that's another one of the million topics we can go off. Rob, we're going to have to wrap it up. There are times, it's time to drink that large glass of pineapple juice, but I really enjoyed this and there's so much we didn't, even get to such as the three types of schools and what they are please 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 go back listen to episode 50 get an overview hopefully you enjoyed this ramble chat ask us questions we're happy to enter into a dialogue and discuss anything with you and um please yeah just check out all of our previous episodes one by one and, uh, and tell us what you think
1: thanks O'Leary and yeah I would say I think we need at least one more of these Ramble Chats to hit on a few more of the kind of key issues we didn't get to um, yeah it's fun to see if we can say this when we don't have our, our tight bullet point script to keep <laughs> to keep us on on track and away from those rabbit holes I like this
0: yeah good times
1: alright my friend thanks Brendan we hope this episode has been interesting If you want to connect, we're on Twitter. We're kind of building a community there. Feel free to pass this episode on to others who give a damn about what's going on in education. From Brendan and myself, attention is a valuable thing these days. Thanks for having some of yours on What We're Saying.